Hi, dreamers. This is Lucy, and welcome to another episode of the Self-Made Expats with Lucy Jan, where I interview expats from all across the globe to share their inspiring and motivating stories. Today, I am here with Rosiane, aka Rosie. She is originally from Brazil, and she moved to England at the end of 2018 by herself. She studied journalism at the University of São Paulo, and before moving to England, she had a great job in Brazil, which we are going to talk about later. Now she's working as an international PR manager in London, and she has passion for writing. And as I double majored in journalism、uh, at the university, with a dream of becoming a journalist one day, so I have so many questions for her, and I'm so curious about her journey. So I'm super excited. Welcome to the show, Rosie.、It's、so great to have you here today. Ah,、oh, thank you, Lucy. It's really nice to be here. I'm really excited. I think we have lots to talk about. Yes, I'm sure. Okay, so let's talk about journalism first because I think it's something that we have in common and something that we both are passionate about. I believe so.、Um, why did you study journalism? Did you want to become a journalist when you were young, or? It was never a dream when I was young. To be honest, when I was young, I didn't really know what I wanted to do.、Um, I had some opportunities to do some stuff on TV. You know, when you were a kid and you do like、wow. some TV ads and things like that. So I was like a kid model. Let's put that way. So since very young, I identified that I had these communication skills somehow.、Mm. Um, but yeah, everybody thought that maybe I would become an actress or something like、oh, that. But I、cool. didn't. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun as a kid. But then when I started to grow up and really thinking about my future, I realized that I didn't want to be in front of the cameras. I、oh. preferred to be behind the cameras. So I was like, okay, actress is not the thing for me, or model, or anything like that.、Um, but as I said, communication skills were already there. I was very talkative, so I start to think, what could I do with that? So journalism became an option. And in high school, then I developed my passion for writing and reading. Then I was like, yeah, definitely, journalism is is the thing for me. But never really thought about being the journalist that would be in front of the cameras. No, it was、mm. always about writing for me. So that's how I end up studying journalism, and it's definitely a passion for me. I I really feel like I did the right choice, which I understand for many people sometimes it's hard. We are so young, at seventeen, eighteen, to decide a career, right? Um, but I didn't enter the uni at this age. I took some time. I, I entered after twenty, so I think that also helped me to understand really what I wanted to.、Mm, wow! And I think honestly, like communication skill is one of the. Most important, I wouldn't say soft skill. I don't want to like separate between like soft skills, hard skills, but like you know, communication skill is definitely one of the most important skills in our life. I think, and、uh, I good on you. And 
No, I agree. Yeah, I think for many uh, careers, many roles, communications is considered a soft skill, as you said. But for my career, is the hard skill number one. <laughs> and so, yeah, I have to keep developing it. It's not only about people think communications is only about oh you speak well or mm. you know you know how to write but it's more than that there's a lot of strategic behind that or how to communicate what message which word mm. you choose for things so there's a lot behind absolutely i agree oh my gosh okay i already love our conversation <laughs> <laughs> that's great <laughs> Okay, I I have to say your English. I, I I'm sure you hear this a lot, but your English is really good, and、uh, not only both in speaking but in writing as well.、Um, because when I saw your LinkedIn,、um, your about section, how you describe yourself was oh my gosh, it was. Amazing,、oh, and、uh, when I read it, I was like, I don't know what it is, but like as you said just now, the communication is not just about like how you speak well, but the words you choose and how you convey your message. It was so clear, and there was something about it.、Uh, that's why I eager to interview you.、Um, yeah, so tell me more about like you know how did you learn English? Were you Did you study in Brazil, or how did you how did you study? Or yeah, tell us more about your tips. <laughs> yeah, so my sister is an English teacher in Brazil,、um, so the language was always part of our life somehow because she became an English teacher for kids, then for adults, then eventually she opened her own language school. So、um, I always had, and I'm very fortunate and privileged for that. That I always had the family. Uh, encouraging to learn languages,、um, so since very young I started to study English. But you know,、um, learning English in Brazil is not the easiest because you learn the grammar. The schools are not really focused on conversation, so、mm. it took me some time to really develop the way of really speaking. I was perfect in grammar and reading books and answering all the. Tests that I could, but when it came to speaking, I was struggling.、Um, until I start to have more contacts with、uh, foreigners, so I remember I was so young, and even before MSN Messenger, I think there was ICQ. Oh my gosh, MSN Messenger! Oh my gosh, I yeah, even before, I remember <laughs> there was this tool called ICQ. Um,、okay. you could just search people around the world to start a chat. Um, oh and I, I was probably like twelve, thirteen, something like that, and I used to do that. I used to just search people around the world,、um, English speakers, that I could practice、wow. my English.、Um, so I was always very interested in, in language. I think it was,、uh, yeah, as I said, like my family really encouraged. So there was this, this curiosity in me. So、um, I think learning that. You asked about my tips. I think if someone can learn when they are still very young, that's the best、mm. way to learn a language. When we get older, then our brain gets a bit harder to learn things, right? So nowadays, I look at my friends and I say, "Well, you have a kid, please encourage them to learn language since the beginning because they learn so easily. They don't have any fear, or don't they feel shy? So、um, I think that that helped a lot. And then later on. As I said, interacting with foreigners really、mm. helped me. 
when it comes to writing, it's something that I still learn. And that's my main lesson <laughs> since I moved abroad. I will never be a native. I will never yeah. write as a native speaker, you know. Um, so I have to continuously learn and read a lot. So I'm always challenging myself. I still have tutors. Um, obviously now focused on journalistic writing or business writing. So I still have those uh, tutors whenever I need. Um, so I think that's, uh, um, there's no end to this journey, really. Wow. I love that, like, you keep learning and you keep developing your skills. I think that's really amazing. And that I think, like, that's why you are good at writing. That's why you are going to be better at it. <laughs> so uh, that's really good to hear. So I am very curious about your journey from like you, your life in Brazil and after you moved to England and how you got the you know first job and all those things. So let's start with your life in Brazil. So you were working at GE in Brazil mm -hmm. before moving to England uh, in, in at the end of 2018. And GE is, I mean, one of the great companies yes. in the world. And you had a great job. Um, what motivated you, you know, to move to England by yourself? And yeah, to take a leap. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. It was it was a big decision, a big <laughs> move. Um, but I had the dream. I always had the dream to travel the world. Uh, and that was my motivation. And I knew that living in Brazil um, would be hard because the life in Brazil is hard. So I had a great job. Yes, that's true. Still with a great job in a great company, as you said, one of the biggest multinational companies in the world. Um, I was able to do an international trip once a year mm. um, because of how holidays are organized, the labor laws in Brazil, money-wise as well. It's hard to make money. The currency is not very um, powerful and strong enough for that. So that was my situation. Once a year, I had the time to, okay, I'm going to travel. Then the rest of the year, I would be yeah. in Brazil dreaming about my next trip and planning my next trip that would happen only a year later. So um, that was not fulfilling me. And I wanted to see the world. And I was like, look, I'm young and I'm going to do a trip once a year. Um, uh, eventually you know i may start a family or have a partner then everything is going to get even more complicated and i'm stuck here um so that was the main motivation for me to quit everything i turned 30 oh when i took this decision and i was like it's oh now God, or never <laughs> yes it was it was <laughs> Oh my gosh. Wow. Then uh, how did you, so before moving to England, you didn't live anywhere in the world? Like, I lived you just in Italy because that's another, yeah, that's another thing. As a Brazilian, I didn't have all the doors open in terms of visa, mm. right? I couldn't simply say, okay, I'm coming to Europe and I'm going to be a resident here. It's not that simple. Mm. I need a visa. I need a sponsor. I need something that allows me to stay in the continent for a longer time, longer than the tourism visa, right? So to make it happen, I did 
lots of research in my family to identify if we had any European background. And I found out that we have Italian background. So I was entitled to claim my Italian citizenship. So that would be the way for me to be legally uh, living and working in Europe. So that was my first stop. So before moving to Europe, it took me two years in Brazil to get all the papers done, saving money and etc. Then I went to Italy first to finally get my Italian papers. So Italy was my first stop. So after Brazil, after you quit everything, (laughs) quit your job in victory moment, uh, the first stop was Italy, and then you were living in Italy for a while, and then you finally moved to England. So why why did you choose England? Uh, Because of the language. Um, Mm. So I learned Italian when I was living in Italy, but obviously not enough to say I could get a job um, and speak Italian fluently. Um, so England sounded to be the best way for me to pursue a career in my role, in my area of expertise, because I already spoke the English and I could feel confident with English. So England, and also because I, I, I mean, London is amazing, right? I have <laughs> this feeling that, wow, London is lively and, you know, I love football. I love Beatles. I felt like, okay, England oh, is the place yeah. for me to be. <laughs> so, yeah, it was yeah. there was this calling, London calling. <laughs> oh, London calling, yes. There we go. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Then, um, I mean, like, I don't know, like, weren't you weren't you feeling like kind of like scared or worried like because we do have a lot of what if kind of questions in our mind like because you had a stable life you know you had a good job in brazil and uh but just at 30 big moment you moved you know abroad in a completely new country uh, I don't know if you had any kind of job opportunity lined up I, I am gonna ask you later but like I don't yeah okay <laughs> Then, I mean, like, how, you know, did you, like, think of, think about the uh, the worst case scenario? Or h- yeah. how did you take an action, the bold move? Not a lot of people yeah. can do, yeah. My worst case scenario was uh, coming back to Brazil, right? So I mm. think that was something that gave me a bit of a, um, a sense of comfort because if everything goes wrong, I go back to my own country, I go back to my own family, and I start all over again there, um, which is not which is not bad, you know. Obviously, I didn't want to be in Brazil at that time, but still, it's is the place that I know that I am used to, so it wouldn't be that bad. Um, but yeah, I felt uh, afraid in so many aspects. Obviously, what if? I don't get a job. What if my money finishes? What if yeah. um, I cannot make friends? Or yeah, what if my friends it, yeah. from Brazil start to forget me? So many questions. I still remember at, like a week before traveling, I was calling a friend of mine and crying. She had an experience in Australia. So I called her just to really ask if she felt that the friends for, uh, forgot her during the time she was in Australia. And that was my biggest fear. 
because you know family's family family will never forget you they will be yeah. your family wherever you are but friends i was like what if they don't even remember me anymore they don't even call me or they they don't even tell me what is happening in their lives oh. there will be time zone in between so i think family uh, friends wise was my biggest fear and obviously money um i i needed to count every single penny during the whole journey so that was that was challenging as well wow you're you 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 were brave and you are brave today as well <laughs> yeah nowadays i look i look back and i say oh my god did i really do that <laughs> yeah i know you you made it happen and look at you now yeah, international yeah. pr manager in london how cool is that <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting story. So, um, tell us about your first six months uh, in England when you first yes. moved. Yeah. So first, I I can even say about the first month I was living in a hostel because oh I didn't gosh. have a house. Um, so I came to London with, and I'm I'm not I'm not uh, afraid of saying that with eight hundred pounds. That's what I had. 800 pounds in your pocket and that's all yes. you had. That's all I had because I spent the savings that I had in Italy doing the papers and then I said okay now my I got the papers my money is ending I have to work. So I came oh to gosh. London I had 800 pounds. So I lived in a hostel and my main uh, goal at the moment was to, I have to find a house and I have to find a job. Uh I found the job first. And it was a oh. simple job in a shop. I was mm. just working as a sales assistant. I got any job that they offered me in the first day. You know, I could work in a pub, I could work in a restaurant, anything that would someone would offer me, I would have taken. So I took this job in a shop and then it was just a part-time job and it would be enough to pay me a room and food. And I was like, okay, at least now I know I won't be a homeless person. I will have a roof. And I will have food, so I won't die. Mm -hmm. um, so that was the first month for me. And then, yeah, eventually I found a room. The classic story of London, right? So I shared a room with, I shared a house with other five people. You know, that's like this tiny flat that you have like one bathroom for hundreds of people. And <laughs> kind of <laughs> struggle in London that it's quite common. Um, so that was my first month. And then I started to work in this shop. Um, and at the beginning, I didn't, I, I didn't feel any rush of finding any other job because I wanted to settle in the city. I wanted to understand the city, how it works, places and the dynamic, the culture. So I was more mm. into talking to people to see how it is, you know, coming from a very warm country that everybody smiles. How, yeah. how is it when people are not really smiling and they don't even make eye contact with you? Because that's a bit... A bit <laughs> Different, yeah. For them. Yeah, so um, it took the first six months to really understand that. And I was not really doing much because, as I said, the money was enough to pay room and food. So I was doing everything, uh, walking, not taking uh, transport and cooking everything at home or living out of meal deals uh, from Tesco and Sainsbury's. And um, <laughs> I was really taking the time to meet people. So if I could talk mm. to people, meet people, you know, going to 
Facebook uh, meetings, couchsurfing meetings, and all things that I could find. Um, so I took this time. And that's when I started to work as a freelancer and a ghostwriter because mm. I had uh, more time and I could start dedicating some time for myself because I didn't have money to go out. I didn't have money to travel. So I was spending pretty much most of my time in my own room. Um, so I started to, to work as a freelancer and a ghostwriter to some clients in Brazil. Mm-hmm. So that's that would be an extra an extra money. Mm-hmm. I, I definitely have a lot of questions about your experience as a ghostwriter. Uh, I do, but I, I do want to ask one question before we jump into the next question, which is: um, Did you have a sort of like vision before you know moving to London in a career wise? Like because oh okay because you said like because you were working as a working communications at big company and now you move to England and uh uh you know you were completely okay with changing your job uh you know basically to pay the rent and to live in London um uh and I think it must have been a kind of a shift career-wise and uh, I'm just curious did you always did you have like some sort of oh I want to become a you know I don't know journalist in London I want to become a communication manager in London or did you have that sort of like kind of like a goal or dream per se before moving to London no not really I think my dream was really traveling the world so I was Mm. fine to take a break of my corporate life Mm. Um, I had a very corporate life for many years uh, office routine and etc so I wanted to take a break of that and discover the world a bit so I was open to any any opportunity, uh, but I always had the plan of working uh, online. So that's why being the ghostwriter and freelancer came straight away because I imagined that if I could live out of online jobs, then I could travel the world. I could be anywhere else in the world, not necessarily in Brazil. So that was the plan, which didn't really work well because... Uh, money as well it's not that easy to just work remotely and pay your own bills especially if my clients were in brazil and paying Mm. brazilian currency so it was not that easy um but that that was the first the first idea that i had if i could make it happen that would be perfect Mm -hmm. got it got it i know like especially when we work for work for corporate for so many years we were like oh my gosh i need some i need need something you know take some time off you know because we've been in corporate for so many years right so i think you made a really good decision for yourself and uh you know thankfully you met a lot of i bet like you've met a lot of different people from different cultural backgrounds so um that's really good yeah um could you tell us more about your experience as a ghostwriter like who did you work with and how how was your work and what did you like about yeah yeah so ghostwriting was something that I was already doing in my previous jobs in Brazil because as a communications person I was always working very closely closely to leaders in companies so helping them to write their own leadership message to the company or their blogs or things like that because um, that's something that nobody 
really uh, things, but yeah. if you are a CEO of a company, it means you're really good at what you do, but it doesn't mean mm. that you're good at yeah. writing. True. Not necessarily True. you're good at writing. <laughs> writing is a skill. People yes, think that yes. it's natural. It's something natural. No. Everybody knows how to write. No, that's not true. Um, so CEOs need help in writing things efficiently, passing the message mm. in the right way to their employees, to motivate employees, to engage employees. Mm. So that that was something that I was always doing at my previous job in Brazil. So I was when I moved abroad, I thought, okay, I will keep doing it because many of those leaders have their own LinkedIn accounts. They want to keep updating it. They want to be, you know, thought leadership in their industry. So they want to keep talking about topics in their blogs or LinkedIn pages or whatever. So they may need my help. And that's how I started. They already knew my my results or what I could deliver so they were happy with that um, and that's how I worked as a, a ghostwriter they would contact me and say I want to write an article about something can we can we talk about it they would call me we would do a half an hour one hour call they would tell me everything there was in their minds what is the message they want to pass and I would write it mostly because I already knew them, so I already knew their tone of voice or their mm. way of speaking. Um, and then, obviously, they start to recommend me to other peers, and then I could I could have a few more clients. Wow! I'm like my jaw just dropped. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> because like, oh my gosh! Like you write on behalf of leaders like CEOs of the companies. I mean, that's really cool. And uh, you must be really good at what you're doing. <laughs> that's why. Yeah, ghostwriting was that's always what, yeah. so interesting. And it's controversial as well. Many people say, oh, that's, that's cheating. Uh, so you're telling me that this CEO didn't really write this message. And yes, that's what I'm telling you. But the ideas are theirs. Mm. You know, I'm just helping them to put in the paper in a nice way because they don't have the writing skills that they would like to. I'm not coming with the ideas. I'm not coming with the message. It's still theirs. So anything that it's inspiring that you're reading there, it's theirs. It's not mine. I'm just shaping mm. it. I'm taking a diamond and shaping it. So that's, uh, it's very, many people don't like it because they feel, you know, that's not original, but that's common. We all do that in some sort of degree in other things, mm. you know, you are not, not a good cook. So you hire someone to cook the dish yeah. that you want for yourself or, you know, oh, we do this so it's the same writing is a skill and people need to um give the right value for that a bit more i think oh my gosh i mean like the more i the more i i don't know how to say like so i, I honestly think writing is the skill i mean like for example it's just in my opinion you know a lot of technical skills are very difficult to learn as well However, it's something, um, how to say, like, if you put in time, you can learn if you are willing to, like technical skills. Oh my gosh, it's hard whether you're going to be good at 
or good at it or not, you can learn. However, writing is a, I feel like it's a life, lifelong skill. It's it not something because, that you can develop like tomorrow. You know what I mean, right? No, because it, the word that you're using, it's the perfect word. It's um, it's alive because languages are alive. So you take English from I don't know two hundred years ago. It's not the same English that we use nowadays, and that happens to every language, right? Languages change over time. And so do mm -hmm. writing. So writing will always change accordingly. So mm -hmm. it is it is life, and that's the beauty of it. I find it fascinating. Yeah, I mean, okay. If any leaders of the company listening to the podcast or any <laughs> CEOs or who or not a CEO but like someone who needs like really good writing, hey, we are here. We have Rosie. I mean. You know, I saw your LinkedIn uh, writing and I was really fascinated by it. Even like it was not even very long, but like, I don't know, some words were very captivating. So I was like, wow, she's really good at writing and she's not even a native speaker. Oh, thank and you. I, I, yeah. And uh, wow. I, I, yeah. And then it, it now you are saying that you were writing on behalf of leaders. Oh, my gosh. OK, we have testimonials here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course, I don't say the names because that's part yeah. of the deal, right? Yeah, it, true, true. That, that's why it's called ghost, ghost writing. Mm. And people find this name a bit weird sometimes. But um, yeah, that's that's a very interesting job. And if we have writers listening here that they never really thought about it, I really recommend it's really exciting. You get to know different leaders, you get to know different areas or different ideas. It is inspiring for us as well because mm. as i said you talk to people that have brilliant ideas and messages to pass that maybe you never thought about it and then you stop to think about it because you have to write it in a nice way you have to shape it so it's a nice exchange it's not only about okay i'm gonna write for that person and they're gonna pay me you also get to know what these people really think mm. um so it's really interesting true I, I, I'm just wondering uh, that do you do you have any writer's block like when you're writing? What, that I read what do you do, or like, that I write? You mean like when you write? Do you have like situations where oh my gosh, like you know, like writer's block? I don't know if it's the right word, but like you feel like oh, you need to write something because there's a deadline. However, you just somehow like you don't get the. Uh, some sort of inspiration to use the right words or stuff like that like uh, you know yeah i don't have a blog but i have my own documents mm. normally when i am having this first conversation with the person i um obviously i record the conversation for me to later on listening to it again and at the time we were talking i am already typing lots of ideas and mm. lots of messages um, and then I kept, uh, I keep going back to it um, over and over again um, to think, okay, he said that, she said that. So yeah, that's, that's strong. That's nice, but I, I have to think about it. So yeah, I just keep my own notes on my documents. Yeah. Mm, well, that's a, that's a good tip. <laughs> I like it. I like it. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about, um, so now you're working, um, uh, you know, in PR. And uh, I'm curious, how was your job searching journey in England, like in journalism related work? Because I mean, finding a job, 
abroad is already not easy. However, finding a job in England, which is an English-speaking country, as a communication manager or a PR or anything like journalism-related work is like <laughs> so difficult. In my opinion, it's gotta be—it's not very easy. So, how was your experience? Yeah. So you you asked about the six, the first six months, right? So after a couple of months, when I felt I already knew the dynamic of the city, um, I felt as all I also felt that working in a shop was not enough for me. I was like, okay, this is not challenging. I'm not learning anything here. I can do more. It's time for me to get back to track and start looking for a job. Um, here in the UK, there is this very interesting uh, model of working with recruitment agencies. I don't know mm -hmm. if, if many countries work the same way, but um, you can just knock at the door of an agency and say, I'm looking for a job and the recruiters will help you to find a job. You don't pay anything. You don't have, they don't take any money from your salary, anything like that. So um, they will help you. And that's how I started. So I, I talked to recruiters, I handed my CV, and they were very interested because I had this experience in a multinational company in Brazil. Um, but with that said, from the time that I started this journey until I really found my first job, it took me eight months, which means eight months of no's. And that was tough. <laughs> That, that was, was long, yeah. really tough. Uh, I went to interviews, I would say almost every week I had an interview. So just do the maths there and imagine how wow. many no's I heard. It was really, really tough to the point that I was that close to give up. I started to ask myself, to question myself. I don't mm. think I am capable of having a job in an English uh, speaking country um, so I started to um, it really affect my self-esteem somehow you know I started to feel I'm not I'm not good enough to work in, in England um, this is not gonna this is not gonna happen so yeah but eventually <laughs> I had a, a job that really accepted me um, but it was really hard it was really, really hard. I, I will say it was a lot of, like, many, many nights of crying, for sure. <laughs> wow. Then, um, how, like, how were you able to keep going, like, even if, like, there were, like, rejections and stuff like that? I think what really kept me going was the fact that I was always going to the final stages of the interviews. Um, so... For some reason, they were interested in me. They were calling me every step, you know, the first interview, second interview, third interview, and then no. Um, so I was feeling like, why am I always like, you know, so close and not happening? So um, I think that was the reason why I believed that eventually it could happen. Um, and also friends, friends were telling me, keep going keep going I'm sure it will be possible so having support was also very important true um I'm, I'm curious 
uh, did you? So like you were saying that like for eight months you were looking for a job, but you always you know go to the final stage, but like you're not getting the job offer. Did you consider taking another career because you know yeah journalism related work in an English speaking country can be tough. So like, did you have like that that that, that kind of moment? Uh, because I was working that shop, for me it was either I stay in the shop or uh, I get something in communications because I always knew communications is what I know how to do. It's my passion. There is no way I would change uh, my career. What I was doing when I was in the shop, for example, I volunteered myself to manage their social media accounts. Um, so I was like, okay, maybe in this Uh, chain this uh, brand that I'm working for maybe I could you know start some sort of communication career here work with their social media account and maybe get something in their headquarters or something um, but I never really thought about going to any other area of expertise really I, I don't see myself doing anything else <laughs> just, uh, I don't know if it's good or bad but yeah So I was either, yeah, either I get a communications job or I will keep going here in the shop and take a break and see what else I do. Um, but yeah, it was really tough. I mean, it was, I think it was the moment that I really felt I'm not capable of what I thought I was. Mm. Yeah. Then how, how did you feel when you, you know, you know, got the first oh God, offer? I was, I was so <laughs> happy. And at the same time, so afraid because I was like, okay, someone really gave me the opportunity and I have to prove myself now. Yeah. Um, and I, I will tell you that it was not easy as well, the first job, because yes, I had moments where people were correcting my English or mm. I had moments where I could feel someone in the company didn't really like me for mm. probably for the reason that I am not an English speaker in a communications role. So there was some uh, people judging a bit. So I, yeah. And I think that's something that will always happen when you're a foreigner, when you're an immigrant. Yeah. It's something you will always face someone that looks at you because you are an immigrant so it was the first experience but it was so it, it taught me so much about uh, this whole experience and I think um, in this it's been like four years now since I left Brazil and I had all sort of sorts of uh, behaviors towards me for being an immigrant so um, it's interesting it's really interesting and we we learn so much but it can be painful as well Wow. I resonate with you so much. Uh so much. Um uh, because like, you know, I uh I used to work as a sales sales at um sales rep at a software company. So sales is also not a writer, but like it's a communication. Absolutely. So, Yeah, so it's a I. It's not just me talking to a person in English, but like selling something in English, is different story. Like you as well, writing in English to basically promote the company is mm -hmm. a different story, right? So, I I, I resonate with uh, what you said earlier. So, but I mean, here we are today, and. Uh, <laughs> 
we learn we learn as we experience i believe so uh i mean uh that's uh yeah that's what matters mm-hmm. and uh and i also um so that on your LinkedIn, that creativity is one of your strongest traits and you are passionate about diversity and inclusion. Uh, can you tell us a bit more about it? Yeah, so creativity, definitely, it's me. I am that person that um, I have a friend of mine that always makes jokes of my relationship with Carnival in Brazil, for example. I am that person mm. that during Carnival, I like to have different costumes every single day of Carnival. So I wake up and I see what I have at home and I create my own costume. <laughs> I don't buy them. I make them with whatever I have it? at home. Um, so wow. paper, plastic or colorful stuff. And then I create something and I go to Carnival. Um, so that's the level of creativity <laughs> that I have. I really wow. like creating stuff, you know. Um, and I think my brain just works in, the, I don't know, it's a volcano of ideas. You know, many of these ideas I can never really make it happen. They're just ideas. Um, but I, but I, yeah, I, I, I love uh, creating stuff and coming with new ideas. And I feel inspired by um, just, I don't know, movies and uh, art and people. I love people. I love talking to people. Mm. People are really the thing that inspire me. Mm. Um, so I think that's, yeah. And traveling. I think traveling is also another thing. So I, I, I really consider myself very creative. I mean, like, you know, uh, you don't buy costume. You're actually making the costume yes. for carnivals every day. I mean, just listening to that alone <laughs> proves how creative you are. I've never been to carnival, but yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's a lot of fun. I saw yeah, it, it on is. the videos. It is. It's lovely. Yeah. And in terms of diversity and inclusion, I think that's really related to my values. So mm-hmm. I've always been... I consider myself a feminist um, and again since I moved abroad I started to have this um, strong feeling towards immigrants as well so that's another um, cause that I really feel engaged and related to. Um, I really feel proud of myself for being a Latina. So I have these uh, uh, communities where I really feel proud of. And mm. I also try to be very aware of my own privilege as a um, white uh, middle-class person. So mm. I've been always very involved in all those causes in Brazil. And I take that with me because I think... We need it. It's important, not only as a society, but in a work environment as well. So if I have to speak up about something at work, I will. Now that I'm working mainly with sports, um, that's even more. You know, I know that sports is still can be is still a great area for many things you know for sexuality for women so i that's the kind of cause that i will always take with myself it doesn't matter where i am well i mean honestly like i can i feel like i can talk to you like for hours (laughs) oh that's great to hear (laughs) i mean like i just like i enjoy our conversation so much and uh i mean like i honestly like like 
if we, I, if I live in London, I can just like bring a bottle of wine to your place well, and we can just like chit chat for hours. <laughs> be my guest whenever you are in London. Yeah. I know, I know, I will, I will. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, so two more questions. Um, so the first one is, do you have, so do you have any advice Uh, for people who wish to move to a new country like yourself, but they are not af- they are just afraid of taking a leap. Like, do you have any advice for for them? Um, I think my advice. Um, I could think of two things. One is organization. It really helped me. Um, if you are a very organized person, if you have plan A, plan B, plan C, you know, mm. if you you've saved some money, so you try to learn how much you're going to spend every day in the city you're going, or how the tube map works, how much it costs, even before you're there. So organizing and doing all this research um, is uh, it, it was really helpful for me, and I think it was what made it successful because mm. I I didn't take risks. I feel like when you're traveling, if you're backpacking, uh, it's fine to take risks. Oh, you go to this mm. hotel. If it doesn't work, you change. You sleep in a couch or you take a bus or you change the plans, right? But it was not about back, backpacking for me. It was about starting a life from scratch. So I couldn't take mm. that many risks. So I was really organized. I had hundreds of spreadsheets about everything you can imagine <laughs> so, so i think being organized and also being organized is what made me feel a bit more brave because if something goes wrong it went wrong for my own fault i cannot blame anyone i cannot put the blame on anything i did my best and it didn't work so you If something goes wrong, you don't feel as frustrated because you did everything you could and you mm. organized everything you could. Then it's your responsibility, your success or your fault. So that's one. And the second thing is believe your own path and don't listen to others. Uh, oh, you're going to find... Yes. Yeah. You're going to find hundreds of Facebook groups or, you know, blogs or anything online. People saying, oh, but with me, it worked that way. Oh, no, don't worry. It happened to me that way. It's going to happen to you the same way. No, that's oh not God. true. <laughs> that's not true. You have your own experience, your own story, your own path. And, 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 you know, people sometimes say things online that they don't even think how damaged this can be to someone else's story, you know. So don't take other people's experience uh, as an example. And I've seen that happening to um, borders, you know. Oh, go, don't worry about a visa. Nobody's going to check it. But, man, you're putting someone's life in risk by saying yeah. something so irresponsible. Uh, so be really careful with other people's stories because each person has a different one, a different experience, a different values that maybe it's not the same value as yours. So you draw your path, you build your story and don't, don't compare yourself to the others. Wow. Can I clap you for a second? <laughs> 
Oh my god, such a great advice. I mean, honestly, this advice, like two advice that you just shared with us is so incredible, so valuable. I think like you can give this advice because you've been through all of this, yeah. right? And I am also a big spreadsheet kind of girl and I love spreadsheets. So I love <laughs> your idea of organization. And also not just like listening to what others say and just like you create your own path. I mean, oh my gosh, such a great advice. I mean, honestly, oh my gosh, I love it. Okay. I'm really happy. <laughs> I, I, I do. Um, okay. The last question. So I asked this question to all my guests and uh, especially for you. I'm really curious about your answer. Uh, what is your favorite book that you would like to recommend to our listeners? So, so my favorite book, um, I don't think I have a favorite book, but I would say that most of my favorite books are Brazilian literature that probably people wouldn't find it translated in English. But I do have one book that was the best book during this journey with me. So I think mm. that's the one that I would like to recommend, that it's called Far and Away, How Travel Can Change the World. So this book is from Andrew Solomon. Uh, he's a writer um, and he writes essays on politics, culture and etc. And this book is his personal experience in all these trips that he has done to cover politics. So when he was in wow. Russia, Afghanistan, uh, Vietnam and South Africa, even Brazil. Um, so he was in those places for political reasons or anything that was happening in the country at the moment, religious or cultural transformations, he was there covering it. Um, but the book, it's not only about these special moments, but also about his experience in traveling. So there's a hundred of quotes there that every traveler or every expat would relate when he talks about wow. the sense of belonging or how he feels to be away from home and how eventually he finds himself not um, not having a nation because he doesn't relate to a nation anymore because wow. he has been abroad for so many years and it's it's incredible and I read this book when I was in Italy going through a very tough time uh and I would just take this book, go to the middle of the mountains and do some meditation and read the book because I really need some energy to keep going. Um, mm. And it helped. It worked. So I think it's not my favorite book because it's not something, you know, uh, grammarly speaking or literature speaking, it's not a piece of art. Mm. Uh, but the methods are so strong that I really recommend to any expat. So Andrew Solomon's what was the book? What was the name of the book? Far and Away. How far Travel in can Change the World. Far and Away. How Far and Away. Okay. You know what? I need that book. <laughs> I think everyone needs that book, really. It's really it's really interesting. And it's fun as well because he talks about particularities in these places that he has been to. Um yeah, it's it's a fun book. It's not heavy to read, uh, but mm -hmm. it has some very powerful messages. 
Okay. Well, I'm gonna definitely give it a go. Thank you so much,、uh, Rosie. Well, this is it for today. Do you wanna do? You, do you have any words、uh, before we wrap up today? Um, well, thank you so much for inviting me.、Uh, for me, it's always a pleasure to talk about my journey. As you said, sometimes I I look back and I don't even realize how much I went through and how far I've gone. And it's always a pleasure to share my experience with people. I am open to talk about it and to help or to just connect. Uh, having, as I said, like having a community is very important. So any person going through the same, they can just connect to me on LinkedIn or any other social media accounts, and I'm happy to get in touch and walk together. Oh, thank you so much! Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna link. Yeah, I'm gonna link your LinkedIn、uh, in the show notes. So if anyone who wants to connect with her for her writing skill or for her expat life,、uh, definitely connect with her.、Uh, I am like I'm recording this podcast episode while having video.、Uh, I'm seeing her, and she has a, such a good energy, and I really enjoy talking to her today. And I. Honestly, I can talk for hours right now. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm sure you will enjoy talking to her as well. So, I mean, thank you so much, Rosie. So, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us this week. Hope you learned something new from this episode, and now you are motivated and fired up to make your dream come true. Make sure to share with others who might need to listen to this podcast because this is something they needed to listen to to be inspired. We never know. Lastly, be sure to subscribe and follow Self Made Express with Lucy John on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. And I will talk to you very soon. Thanks for being here.